0: This is the thirst Time presented by Track Brewing Company. You
1: know, people have asked the question too. Oh, you know, you've been making IPA for years. You, you would make great hazy beer. You'd make great hazy hoppy beer. And I said, you know, I, I, I maybe, but that's not to me. That's not in line with what we're about, and it's not in line with what we've done. Um, and I just don't care for it. <laughs>
0: hello here we are back again for another episode of the first time this show tries to take a deep dive into the careers and minds of some of the industry's leading figures all starting from that very first beer that changed everything today's guest definitely carries the accolade of legend a man who has been brewing for over two decades now and has watched this whole crazy craft beer wave rise from its very inception. Um, He is Jeff Bagby, owner and founder of Bagby Beer Co. from Oceanside, California. Man, I feel honoured, totally honoured that Jeff would share this time with me and share his story as well. It goes to the very early days of uh, a little-known brewery called Stone, when they were just starting out before moving on to Pizza Port where he took over operations and really is a a kind of story of Californian craft beer but obviously within that a story of craft beer as a whole the, the beers that he was drinking probably like 15 years earlier were the very beers that I think we got over here and, and, and made a real mark um, on the marketplace so before eventually getting to a place where he had the confidence to go it alone and start Bagby Beer alongside his wife um, to showcase, you know, the beating heart of what Jeff is about, which is incredibly well-produced, balanced, beautiful beer that carries a story with it. Whether it be Czech Pilsners, British Bitters, or of course, the fabled West Coast IPA. He's a man that has a deep, deep philosophy on what beer should be and how it should be brewed. And we at track uh we were lucky enough to brew a beer with him uh when this episode comes out, it was probably about two two or three weeks ago uh and of course, we went for the west coast i p a um and we teamed up with our hop suppliers Crosby, who do amazing fresh centennial and we we literally got it over from pelletizing to beer in around you know a month or something which is insane and it kind of goes to show how how this uh, industry has developed over the time, uh, and also in that collaboration, just the back and forth on the emails uh, was just amazing. Jeff left no detail unturned, and we were truly blessed that he would share his knowledge and give us his blessing to brew such uh, well a beer that is so close to his heart. So, to the episode, he is awesome. He's a legend. He is Jeff Bagby. And we started this conversation with that all-important question: What was that first beer for him?
1: Um, I I think it was probably a, not one specific. It was probably a, a couple of different beers. Um, back in uh, my later teen years, kind of coming out of high school, getting into college um, with friends and. Uh, just realizing that that there was uh, better things out there, I'd mm-hmm. actually um, bought a friend of mine a, a homebrew kit for his nineteenth birthday. Um, I was eighteen and um, well no we uh, we were able to get our hands on you know the drinking age in California I was twenty one and was back then as well. Um, but you could buy homebrew ingredients. you could buy uh, equipment uh, even though you weren't twenty one. But, uh, getting our hands on things, um, that we'd never tried was, was just great. And I think that a lot of those beers, um, kind of made us think and made us like, wow, this is, this is outstanding. This, this has flavor. This has, um, something we've never smelled or tasted before, um, compared to sort of just, uh, you know, mass produced, uh, adjunct laden, um, you know for lack of a word. better word junk lager
0: yeah um, <laughs> i was waiting for the lag of it because every every american brewer that i've interviewed on this has always started with like yeah light lagers or something like that just kind of yeah you know a, a little bit pissy lagers and stuff and then
1: yeah
0: then yeah. then taking that next step from pictures to to something else um so in those homebrew days were you pretty were you pretty focused was it just a bit of fun or did you did, did the kind of bug get you pretty early on
1: uh, we were pretty hooked in, uh, in combo we you know we we were t- like you mentioned beers uh, i could definitely cite breweries like um sierra nevada of course still one of my favorites um 100%. anchor brewing um back then um there was a brewery called red nectar that or uh nectar ales which was uh out of northern california um and casino brewing uh pete's wicked back in the day when pete still owned it and was just getting going um so a lot of those beers um i'm sure there's a couple others in there um you know california breweries that we were getting even though it was sometimes hard to get our hands on the beer we were getting pretty fresh beer and you know to contrast to you know well-made lager um those beers were just ancient by the time we tasted them so they were just they were just flat they were dull they were skunk so we didn't really have a A keen sense of what good lager should taste like. Um, but the ales were just, you know, what is this? You know, this is, this is amazing. This is something we've, we've never tasted before. So that was exciting. So we tried to mimic that in, in our (laughs) homebrew. So a couple of, you know, real dismal failures (laughs) over time. Over time, we got better and better. And, and, you know, with reading, with talking to brewers, you know, this is an age where nobody has a cell phone. Uh, the internet isn't going, um, you know, this is late nineties. And, and so if you wanted to learn about beer, you had to go buy a book. You had to physically get yourself to a brewery and get in a conversation with somebody. So back then we took every opportunity we could to kind of say, Hey, uh, we have some questions about this. Can you, can you help us out? And, it worked. And some of those people are still people that I know today. Um, awesome. You know, and back then I was, you know, kind of fanboy. Oh my gosh, you brew in a brewery. Yeah. I need to talk Can I touch to you? you? I need to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so it just kind of grew from there. And, and it wasn't, we weren't, we, we didn't get a homebrew kit to be like, ah, you know, we're going to be brewers someday or we're going to open our own brewery or anything like that. It was more, um, we, we want to try to make this on our own. And we ended up going off to to school together, and and sort of got better, you know, better equipment. Um, even had sort of brewing parties with with uh, the rest of our friends. And is this are and, you
0: are you kind of like both brewing, but in different? You, did you go to school together, or were you kind of like would separate but carried on the?
1: Yeah, so yeah. Before there was the summer, the summer after uh, after high school, uh, we both worked in the same. Um, at the same place. And so we were around for that summer trying to goof around and make beer. And those were the bad days of brewing. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, he went off to uh, a university in Santa Barbara, which is a little North of San Diego. Um, where we're both living at the time. And, uh, I, I went to a school about an hour South of there. Um, and eventually I spent so much time up there. I had a ton of friends who went to school up there. I ended up moving up there and going to school. So um, our last two years of, of college, we lived together. And we always had our homebrew on tap along with, you know, some of the breweries' beers that I mentioned earlier. So, um, Very that popular was in the, the Doms. Yeah, it, <laughs> it,
0: was, it, was, uh,
1: it was fun. It was a different time. Um, it was right about the time when... Um, when the internet did come around and dot-com companies were coming out and investing in breweries and you just had these kind of flashbang breweries that would pop up out of nowhere and release seven, eight different beers in package and they were all over all the stores. And then for whatever the reason, either the market was flush and there wasn't a customer base or the marketing wasn't right or the beer wasn't good or whatever the case was, they would fold within yeah. you know nine months to a year and a half of opening. So it was kind of a crazy time. Um and then coming out of that, it was it was interesting as he and I have talked about this coming out of that. Um the breweries that are survived and that are still even around today are the ones that made the best beer back then. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well it's so, <laughs> so interesting. Again, like uh I for fear of repeating myself to everyone that's listened to any of the podcasts, but Sierra Nevada Anchor were like gateway beers for me and for a lot of people in the uk so it's so funny but we were probably getting them like three or four months down the line but they still stay like super hoppy compared to anything else we were getting so drinking them on the west coast must have been like such a trip like uh i mean it's their spiritual home isn't it and it's kind of like uh, maybe your spiritual home as a brewer that feels like it's been a foundation of what you do and where you've kind of
1: move Definitely. towards,
0: like, there's, there's just, like, yeah. incredibly well-made, beautiful, balanced, measured bitterness, uh, resinous, yeah.
1: um, yeah, the, uh, the San Diego aspect of, of IPA, um, you know, just when it, you know, was part of that was where, where I ended up working for over a decade, which was Pizza Port, and going there as a, as a young beer drinker, you know, back then, pints were... Two dollars and fifty cents US uh oh, <laughs> you know, a pint of pint of seven and a half percent um bitter uh old school IPA. Um you know, back then, like you said, they were much more measured. But the the palate back then, you know, I talk. I talked I've been talking about this for years, a palate shift of, you know, sort of first having a, a Sierra Pale ale um and then and having friends too go, Oh my gosh, this is so bitter. Yeah. Is so oh my gosh, so hoppy. And then moving out on towards like old school Pizza Port Swami's IPA, which is, you know, this this it I mean when the beer first came out it wasn't even dry hops. It was just a very bitter, very um you know, some late hop additions, but it yeah. it, it it just seems so bitter and hops just seem to be crawling out of the glass. And um now you look at dry hopping rates and double dry hop, triple dry hop and all these things and so your your palate shifts and adjusts to that and so you you think like now what is considered west coast IPA and measuring trying to go back in my brain mm-hmm. and remember what those those first um uh, IPAs were that people were making in town here um it's 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 interesting but it did it did definitely foster one of the big parts of my brewing kind of uh, I don't know. Well, philosophy and, and career and, and kind of my direction, I guess, in brewing, because that's what was around. And that's what all of us were making in San Diego. And It just really, it's, it stuck with me, you know, making the beer with you guys. And, um, you know, the two of the beers are made with cloud water. Yeah. So, you know, I've made other things overseas, but, uh, the, uh, a couple of the really fun ones were, beers that were based on things that came from way back you know 20 years ago oh man (laughs)
0: Jeff this is why like I mean we were absolutely honored to do that beer with yourself Um, and I was going to get to this later but as we're talking about it yeah the the kind of knowledge that you were so open with us and sharing with us and you know the back and forth was just like that true feeling of collaboration like this is this is like the heart and soul of each brewery you know it's not something that we've done a lot of like west coast so we were honored <clears> that you'd even you know take the time to and give us your, your blessing to do it and then we got you know like the super fresh centennial hops uh i know that yeah. it hasn't i don't think it's reached i, wish, yet. Uh,
1: I wish i could I, smell those was, the- <laughs> funny i was a friend sent me uh he lives in oregon and he sent me an email he's like hey you guys did some collaboration beer with a with a brewery and crosby hop farm and I was like, yeah, yeah, we did cuz he was he was trying to find the beer. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I we said, ah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to send the beer all the way over uh to uh to Oregon, but uh but yeah, we did do this. So, keep an eye out. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, the whole process was awesome like uh, with the with the hop providers as well and and, uh, and Centennial like just such a fucking beautiful hop that we haven't really utilized that much. Um mm-hmm. But to skip back, let's go into. Oh sure. So your um, first brewery role, like when when did you like? Okay. You, so you had you you'd been kind of like nursing this little passion, enjoying beers, yeah. going with friends, but then turning it into a profession is a whole different. Well, I mean, I imagine it's a career sidestep from what you were probably studying in college.
1: Yeah, I quite honestly didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I was in college. Uh, I was. Probably more focused on just getting through it, <laughs> 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 uh, school and classrooms not really being my thing. But um, yeah, I made it through fine and, and actually did quite all right just to get you know get graduated. Uh, then um, yeah, I came home and uh, was living with some friends in a little beach town here in the uh, north part of San Diego, and I had already because of this kind of hobby uh, side passion of mine, a beer way back then. Um, you know, I, I, I came back and did a summer job that I had done for several years. And then I was like, Oh, now I gotta, now I gotta do something. And, um, I had driven, uh, uh, buses, uh, with, uh, kids for camps and ran summer camp programs at the YMCA. That's what I'd done for years. And I had a a commercial license. To drive larger vehicles. So I thought, well, that can sometimes command a a little bit of um, a higher wage. So I started looking for just, you know, an hourly wage job. And it just so happened that I came across a listing for Stone Brewing Company who no, was man. hiring. And I was like, oh man, I, I had remembered meeting uh, Greg Cook and Steve Wagner at Pete Sports Launa Beach the very first night that they had ever chapped beer in public. Wow. And and so I, I remember, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had their pale ale at, at support So I, you know, set up for the interview with Greg and he's just laughing. He's like, yeah, like the, he's like, you're like the perfect person. And all all we need is a delivery driver. But, you know, about beer, you know, about the process, you've heard of us. You were there the first night. So, um, yeah, my first brewery job was delivery. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, delivered, uh, four days a week, 10 hours a day. Um, but I always spent time talking with the brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they knew I had an interest past just, uh, a job of delivering beer and delivering kegs. And the landscape back then in San Diego was, uh, was interesting. It was, uh, you could kind of feel the, uh, the sort of Tinder box going, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, learning from those guys as much as I could. Just still the same sort of. Hey, you're a brewer. Let me talk to you. And you know, coming back delivery truck and and these guys are working. You know, and talking with them. And fortunately enough, um, they needed another person in the brewery. And so after about three months of driving uh, driving beer, Steve said, "Oh, you want to come work in the brewery?" And I was like, "Oh, yes, thank you." Who do I give these truck keys to? You know, <laughs> and so that was the first actual brewing job um and uh kind of fun kind of different um you know it's basically me and uh, uh a guy who's still a friend of mine and an uh, original mentor would be lee chase and he and i worked uh he taught me a ton we we brewed we filtered we packaged uh we did everything but deliver <laughs>
0: and, and is this where like because this is you know we're talking about stone here which became an absolute yeah. behemoth but the, i guess this is yeah, their kind of yeah. like their early early was it still pretty sizable or was it a, a relatively kind of uh no they could, were
1: they were relatively small at that yeah. point so they um that was 1997 um i think i got hired in september of that year at stone and um I think they had, uh, I think I was the 10th employee total out of the, the brewery. And you could tell, you know, they had positioned themselves to grow. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have a, you know, they had a 30 barrel brew kit, which is actually still the kit that, uh, now Port Brewing Lost Abbey uses. So after Stone got bigger and bigger and moved to Escondido, which is a little further out, now they have their big, uh, big Rolex system and big facility, huge production, obviously. Um, um port brewing moved in to their old spot and they've done their own expansions and and done things but the the kit is still a fame um in fact a couple years ago i did a brew with them and we were i was doing the math figured it out that it was probably it had been 20 years since i brewed on that kit wow
0: that that <laughs> kit must have seen some beers man that's insane this show is supported by crosby hops a d Whether you're looking for spot hops or locking in a hop contract, Crosby Hops has the hops you need exactly when you need them. Varieties like Amarillo, El Dorado, Idaho 7, Centennial, Kashmir and many more are available now. Crosby Hops is a bee crop certified, independent and family-owned hop grower, processor and merchant based in Oregon's beautiful Willamette Valley in the heart of the Pacific Northwest USA. Through generations of hop industry experience and their robust merchant processor platform, Crosby has cultivated long-standing relationships with like-minded independent growers and hop breeders across the globe. This unique model, alongside partnering with trusted independent distributors like Loughran Brewing Stores, complements Crosby's estate-grown hop portfolio to provide discerning brewers access to a diverse selection of the finest hops on earth. And we can attest to that. This show is also supported by Loughran Brewing Stores AD. Since 2014, Loughran Brewing Stores has been connecting brewers with the world's leading farmers and producers of brewing ingredients. By working directly with hop and malt producers including Crosby Hops, Indie Hops, Hop Revolution, Biwa, Loughran Family Malt, Best Malts and Castle Malting, Loughran Brewing Stores is able to supply the highest quality and most environmentally sustainable ingredients on the market to date. Whether you're brewing a hazy IPA, imperial stout, or any other style of beer, Lothian Brewing Stores has everything you need to take your beer from farm to glass. And now, back to the show. You were saying you were kind of being mentored a little bit there. What were what were the kind of things that you were really picking up on um, that, that have kind of stayed with you to this day, to, to the way that you oh, yeah. you want to treat beer and and you know package beer and present beer
1: yeah so most of um what I kind of grabbed onto there was um just brewing process mm-hmm. um how it how it different from you know what I was doing in college and in, in home brewing. Um what what points were key what uh what parts of the process were they paying attention to at stone that was different from what I'd talked to and learned from other breweries who are brewing professionally mm-hmm. and um it's kind of what founded um my basis for how I still make beer today it's pretty cool to look back at that um so you have somebody like Lee and Steve Wagner who well Lee went to to school I've never been to any formal brewing school of any kind Mm -hmm. other than the the, hey let's talk (laughs) that kind (laughs) kind of beer school yeah (laughs) yeah of course I've been to conferences and 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 given talks and been in talks and, and all that, but, uh, um, never any formal education that way. So I was learning things that, that I, I had never thought about and talked about or, or seen or done in brewing there. So I paid attention to pretty much everything that, that those guys said. And it wasn't like I was taking notes, but I was taking notes on process and, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, production, brewing. Um, And we did a little experimentation, too. Back then, you know, we were the very first, I think, uh, special beer that we made there was the second anniversary, uh, IPA at Stonebrain, (laughs) which basically they took their IPA and doubled the hop regime and doubled the dry hop. (laughs) Oh, (laughs)
0: DDH.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The 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 original. Yeah, the OG.
0: (laughs) Um, Ah, oh, that's so cool. So, if, if we if we span on from Stone, were you kind of building like was confidence starting to to grow in you of of the ability that you had, or were you still very much like because sometimes it's, it's it's hard to think of you being like the main guy, isn't it? Like when you can work underneath someone and you can be like, right, you know, they're, they're making the decisions. I'm gonna just be a sponge and take as much away from this as possible. Was it after yeah. Stone that you felt you could? you had the knowledge and the nows to, to push on yourself, or was there still a little bit of time where you needed to uh, nurture um, the love and the care and the, and the skill set, I guess, to to,
1: to go uh, forward? Like, Good question. It, it definitely was still a nurture time. Um, still learning, still in somewhat of awe of the industry and, and what was going on. Still meeting people, still talking to people. Um, talking about the, the early days of a lot of San Diego breweries, Ballast Point, Ale Smith, uh, even Coronado to an extent, obviously the Pizza Ports. Actually, there was only one back then. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was a, a, a really cool time for me to be a sponge in, mm-hmm. the, in that industry. And in those early days, I was definitely not as experienced as everyone else. Um, you know, I was asking questions and you know, I'll never forget some of the first San Diego Brewers Guild meetings that I went to as a stone employee, and meeting other brewers and tasting other beers um, from them, and having conversations about process and things like dry hopping. You know, and when that was just first coming to be a thing, uh, and and the different ways. Oh my gosh, the different ways that people were dry hopping back then, and and trying and sharing. They're, hey, try this and mm-hmm. try that. And you hear about this new hop variety and it's just, just, you know, all this information. So I definitely didn't have the confidence to be like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to go be a head brewer somewhere or I'm going to, it was more like, you know, what can I learn? Mm-hmm. It was also a difficult time because, you know, I was getting paid nothing basically. Um, you know, an extremely small wage trying to, to, you know, living Barely paycheck to paycheck, um, trying to make rent and trying to think like what am I going to do? Um, this is really a really a fun industry. The information is awesome it's one of my passions. No idea at that time that it would at all that it would be a career for me, that it would be something that would be me talking to you today you know yeah. that that uh that was not there. That took several years of uh you know, graduating into a lead brewing position and head brewing position, running a facility, then run at Peaceport, running several um, locations and brewers, training, hiring, creating new beers, um, you know, figuring out um, how to make uh, a, a company like that run on the beer side, you know, dealing with bartenders and how services happens and education for staff and for them to pass on to customers and you know, a lot of that to me, um, you know, it's funny because I did start off working in a production brewery at Stone, but ended up kind of changing lanes a little bit to focus on the smaller, more brew pub aspect, which has very little to no production aspect to it. You know, you're making you're making beer to sell over the bar for yeah. the majority of your customers, and
0: but it's cool, you cause know, because that, that, cause what you're letting there, which is you know, I love doing this because I start seeing the whole picture of like you as a brewer and as as a a business person because like what you do at Bagby is exactly what you're kind of talking about, like, like that hospitality side and speaking to people and having direct contact and making sure the bar staff know their products and carrying yep. all of the knowledge from the brew floor right through to when that glass like gets put down yep. on the uh, on the bar is just it's such an incredible thing and and like when you can really get that energy through every part of the process um yeah I, I, it makes the customer's experience so like super special and i guess that's what you yeah. were having at that time you know experience oh it that. was
1: it was amazing we you know all of the guys i a, lo- a lot of them i still keep in touch with um some of them are still in the industry or a lot of them are still in the industry um and even you know to the bar staff i mean we were at a point where we had that thing that company on the beer side was just it was just firing. I mean, it, we just were making amazing beer. Our bartenders were behind us. They were the customers were, you know, it just flourished. It was just, it was an amazing time. And as we all know, things like that are hard to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, let's and, jump. Uh, let's you know, jump
0: into this bit then, Jeff. Let's jump into pizza pot because. So th- yeah. this was this the first like full operational. Your like step up to full uh, management process i guess yeah
1: so i i had left i left stone um i would still obviously do i, I was still doing things in the industry um yeah. i was very good friends with a lot of the brewers in town uh including uh the folks at white labs um i had met them early on and um I, you know, talking about not making much money, I took a shot at a, going back to uh, the YMCA. I don't know why I thought I'd make more money there. I guess because it did make so much, so, such a small amount <laughs> in the brewing industry, but there were some positions there that were more on the, um, management and program and operational side that had a promise of, you know, a, an actual salary. And, and so while I was kind of, I didn't jump out of the brewing pool still had, you know, at least one foot fully in it while I did that job realized pretty quick that, you know, when my weekends were spent helping out at festivals or just going to breweries and talking to people and, and sort of, I was still helping stone out on sort of an event basis. Um, it, uh, it just became clear that, that working at the (laughs) YMCA wasn't for me. And, uh, I left and went back to brewing and my first job was actually at White Labs. Um I had talked uh going back I should say. Going um had talked with several still kept up all my relationships and um uh, White Labs had a position. They said, Oh, you wanna <laughs> you wanna do this for a while? But I was only there for about nine months and then um started working at Peaceport Swana Beach as an assistant brewer, driver bartender,
0: uh <laughs> take <Tick, tick>
1: every <laughs> everything. Box. But but it was a different feeling because it was something where it was like, yeah, this is this is more what I want to do. This is something I'm excited about. Um not making much money still, but you know, I'm excited and, and mm-hmm. I'm learning. And this was the other this was working under Tommy Arthur. So this was another mentor person that came in. So you know, combining this stone experience with Tommy's experience, very, very different. Um, very different philosophies in brewing. Um, no, Tommy brewing for basically the pint over the bar and stone brewing to get, you know, as many barrels as they could out and package and draft. So, um, you know, a different thing, but a, but a great time. And under Tommy, um, I learned a ton. Um, was finally able to do some, a little bit more traveling, go to festivals that weren't only in town meet more boar brewers, meet some more people that I had idolized their beers and their breweries. Um, and then I had an opportunity to become a head brewer, finally. So I took it, left uh, Pizza Port, still bartended there. Uh, there was a uh, head brewer at another group of small brewery. I had pretty much full control. And that was the first time that I had really created my own beers. I had yeah. really developed and put together recipes and had them you know come throughish and, and or come to fruition, and uh that it was it was a great time um can you remember I, the first
0: I, the first beer that you
1: did Uh there it was uh it was just a a light uh golden ale Blond the wow. uh, the, pub, the pub that i had gotten hired for was in a in a on the beer side was was in a little bit of state of draft they the you know i had it just equipment that had beer in it that had just been sitting there um they had they were a corporate brewery or brew pub chain so there were several locations and the the chain was creating their own production facility to get some of their core beers out on their own basically Mm -hmm. to brew beer to sell themselves and until this had happened they were contract brewing so some of the beer was just horrendous and there was you know, I was talking to the owner, and he was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> uh, he was, like, getting kegs in and, like, backfilling them in the serving tank. Oh, no. And just beer sitting in fermenters that hadn't been touched or done, you know. So, I just – I it was a head-brewing job, and I was like, all right, you know, I can do whatever you want. Um, I'd love to come in here. I said I need at least two weeks to clean the place, take inventory, see what you guys have. Um and he said, well, we, re- we really need this light beer. We need this. This is our, this is what we sell the most of. And we just, we need this to get going. So that was the first thing I made there. And, you know, not really having a recipe or a guide to go on and the contract brewery that was making right, they didn't, they didn't give a shit about the beer. They were just like, you know, okay, getting it out. So it, it was fun because it gave me an opportunity right about that point, um, one of my friends that got him promoted to be the head brewer at their production brewery, the, the brew pub chains big brewery. So he and I built the core recipes in the beginning. So it was pretty simple, but it was a, a that golden blonde ale of, uh, a headweizen, uh, a Scottish ale, a, a, a stout, foreign style stout and an IPA and a pale ale. And so he had already had the, a, a really nice IPA recipe together. So we just kind of, I was like, hey, I got this, I got this. And we built these five, six beers that I don't know if the chain still uses them, but at least the core recipes were there for quite a while. I only worked at that brewery for about a year, no, maybe two years. And then um, still being friends and still knowing the Pete Sport crew, um, they had a big opening at one of their pubs, and that's when I came back full time to Pizza Port yeah. and started running all of the locations. That was kind of a the golden age. Yeah. <laughs> well it's so, cool. age it's so cool at Pizza
0: It's so cool um as shit as it sounds, that brewery. Like it's like well the only way is up from here, I guess, like, you know, you can, you can walk in there and at least have some sense of like, right, I, I can definitely do better than what is going on right now. Um, exactly. The and, pressure and, the pressure is low. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I love what you were saying about like pizza pot and stone where you've got these two contrasting things where you've got like the beer in the glass being served over the bar has to have more of a wow factor, you know, and, and you've got the ability to make more of a wow factor because you're doing small batch stuff. And then on the stone exactly. side, it's like, right, well, we need to make sure that this is, you know, disciplined brewing where we can produce a shitload of it, get like absolutely yep. max the production out of it and make sure it's a stable product that's going to go into the market. So between yep. those two places, is that where you still feel like you lie as a brewer? That kind of like... uh Really well made, really well production, and then it's still like a bit of the wow factor.
1: Yeah, I've kind of uh, stayed on the smaller production side. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> which is interesting to say now that, you know, we literally just last week finally got our little um, canning line in. <laughs> so the, the, the production side is maybe creeping back in, but out of more of necessity than anything else. Yeah. But I've definitely stayed on the, you know, I, I enjoy. The restaurant, pub, bar aspect of, 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 of this whole industry. And when my wife and I were creating Bagby Beer, the beer was the, was kind of the, the foundation, right? It was the, the, uh, this is, you know, we're a beer company. Uh, but we wanted, and we, we were confident in in the ability to, to make, uh, make good beer. The, uh, by Harvey. Yeah, um, <laughs> the cat just came
0: to say hello for for anyone out that's wondering at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so uh, we we looked at it and said, okay, well, we want the the beer level to match the food, to match the atmosphere, to match the the spirit and cocktail list, to match the wine list. We wanted everything to have an elevated um, value. Uh, I think we used. Uh, Simple food, world class beer, and something I can't remember yeah. what it was, but you know, just a uh, holistic that's approach. To that I, yeah, yeah, that's the aspect of the industry that we we really took, and she and I both took experiences from travel, uh, different breweries, different bars, different countries, different food aspects to to try to put this whole thing together. And you know, we're we're just over six years in, and. In a time which which seems like a flash now, um, you know, I believe we've executed that pretty well. The the thing that's changed is is you know I unfortunately ha- have had less and less to do with the batch to batch brewing. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's fallen on Brandon's shoulders, and he's done excellent with it. Yeah, shout
0: um, out to Brandon for being. But a
1: legend. it was also great to get him at his experience level. He was yeah. thirsty to learn um a tireless worker and you know was i was like all right this is i'll never forget our first brew day at bagby beer it was <laughs> we were running water we're doing this we're and i kind of just sat there i was thinking in my head and i was like all right we can brew and brandon and at the time we had another assistant and they like looked at their watches they're like it's it's four thirty in the afternoon when are we going to be done And i said well you might see the sun <laughs> but we're making beer today <laughs> <laughs> and they were great because they were excited to do it as well yeah. and they and were you just, they were
0: you years before like when you first stepped exactly. into that, to that place where and I think for any create well maybe other industries as well but I know creative industries it's like foot in the door I'm gonna just work my ass off and do whatever jobs yeah. asked of me to to, to stay here because I want to be around this now for us in the UK Maybe pre-Brexit, uh, we have the luxury of being able to drink some absolutely glorious European beers steeped in history and process. That kind of beer is a little bit rarer on the West Coast but Jeff has taken up the mantle of producing and telling the long histories of these beers uh, over the bar to his customers. Now for anyone that has had a Bagby Pilsner you'll know that he is definitely doing them justice. So Jeff is not just a brewer He's a historian and a storyteller. And rather than use the written word, he uses the glorious effervescent liquid that unites us all, beer. Here we get into the reasons why Jeff has gone down that route and what drives him forward. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The first Time, and this is our interview with Jeff Bagby. So, so we've, we've kind of got to Bagby there. And I know that that yeah. was like you know they just we've been probably talking for like uh, thirty minutes, but this is two decades worth of uh, build up to this <laughs> this point.
1: This, <laughs> this yeah, no, there's, a, there's a lot in there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bagby was your dream. It was it was yeah. what you wanted to do. You, you through all of those decades of learning through Pizza Port and Stone and stuff. It was I want to build like a place where people can eat good food. They can drink great beer. They can sit and talk, whether it's about the beer or not. They just—they just—they're yep. just, going to be served by the best hospitality, and that's amazing, man. And what you created is is absolutely mind blowing. And I can only go off Instagram posts because I haven't actually been out there, but like the, <laughs> it, it looks so incredible. So, coming to that point, what was the foundation of your sense of? What was the beer that you wanted to make there? What What, what is the foundation of Jeff Bagby's like philosophy of brewing?
1: That's, that's a good question. I think, well, no, I know by that point in time, I had fallen in love with the idea of classic brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a long time ago, or when we kind of started this whole tale, the, um, the point I made about not having access to well-made lager, fresh, Uh, you know, non months old traveled over a boat, uh, kind of good clean lager was was something that hadn't been uh, available. And it was really neat to have that come in sort of at the end of my time at Pizza Port. Um, Equipment-wise and production-wise, we didn't have a lot of time and space for lager there. Mm -hmm. But when we did, you know, we really worked towards Honoring the traditions and and making the the best quality ones that we could and in that and looking at those styles um like i I hadn't made kolch until bagby Brewing, or uh-huh. bagby beer and um that was something else i it kind of came out of this foundation of of classic beer, both ale and lager and you know we we have a a couple of twists and turns, but nothing compared to what um been going on especially in the last two to three years so that I took that and I said okay well these styles have all been done everything a lot has been done yeah Um, I just want to take the tools that I have and present people with the best examples that I can think of that represent those styles you know I want which happened I want you know German visitors to come into our brewery who are from Dusseldorf and, and go, oh, you make an alt beer and taste it and go, ah, this reminds me of home. Yeah. And um, those types of things. And to teach um, local, like, you know, <laughs> you put something like alt beer on a beer menu and 95% of your customers have no idea, no idea what that is, what it tastes like, where it came from or anything like that. So to me, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for a bartender or a server Um, to, to say, okay, oh, you're not familiar with this. This is, this is the story. Um, this is where these beers come from and here's our example. Yeah. And I think we achieved that. I think we maybe didn't achieve it as well as I would have liked or hoped or dreamed. But, you know, the foundation for that is still there. We still make, you know, um, very classic style beer. Um, we still make amber ale. We still make brown ale. We still make things like British bitter. Um, we <laughs> we make uh, for, or uh, Irish style stout. You know, we make a lot of beer that has been made for hundreds of years. It's uh, quite. It's well quite like a
0: uh, yeah. There's quite a, well. It's a really strong element of like. A province like provincial beers like places that because when you were talking about like alt beers and stuff like that yeah you, you're gonna find brewers that have done like one beer or maybe two beers for maybe even hundreds of years you know like the, the, yeah all yeah. that all their knowledge and all their process is going into just making sure that that beer is as consistent as yep. as anything and i mean i can only go off the you know every time we've ever seen you at festivals we me and Matt always used to just park next to you and just fill our glasses with your pills, net over and over again. Cause it's like, the, it's so, it, it's just a crisp, beautiful thing. Um, and what I really love about that is that the stories, you know, that, that, that yeah. that's at the heart of what it's, what it's about. And, and I think that, you know, knowing you and speaking to you, like that's, that communication is everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's our, way of of creating a foundation in in a customer base too yeah and you know we've 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 worked real hard at that and and we see it and we receive it and not just in a lot in the beer um but also in just in what we do you know we're we're uh, as we all know and we're all in a very difficult time and our brewery is struggling and to see the responses that we get from people and the messages that we get from people. Just, you know, you're doing the right thing. You are one of our favorite places. We'll remember you make it through. We, you know, do, we, we're here to support when and if, and those types of messages are, are so valuable and so important because they, they not only validate what your goal was, but they also see that, that, that you do have, um, whether it's small or not you do have some some people out there that really do care they really do you know when we started building our place it was a a harsh reality to smack in your face is that um when you first start building your own brewery is that nobody is ever going to care as much about it as you do Mm -hmm. and that fact was so evident in construction and you know we literally having to be there every day and project manage to build this thing and um it's it's difficult for people to really understand that even people that are close to you um to convey uh what what we've been through and what we're going through yeah and um i i i know i i wouldn't change how we've made beer and what we've done um you know, people have asked the question too. Because oh, how, you know, you've been making IPA for years. You you would make great hazy beer. You would make great hazy hoppy beer. <laughs> and I said, you know, I I, I may be, but yeah, that's not to me. That's not in line with what we're about, and it's not in line with what we've done. Um, and I just don't care for it. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I think I think that people like don't necessarily understand is that breweries are generally the extension of the person that has created them. And I mean, none more so than, you know, yeah. when you've got like smaller scale stuff, but like I've, you yeah. know, I've worked with a few different um, breweries, like in the, my early days of starting out of this, when I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just doing some like sales and trying to help like smaller breweries yeah. in Manchester. And uh, everyone had such a different philosophy and ethos. Like, you know, they, and it was all based around, you know, what, what the brew, the, the person who'd come up with this business, Wanted mm-hmm. it to be. I, I mean, I'm, I mean that makes total sense, really, doesn't it? But like talking about the effect this is having on on you and and your wife, I know it's it's literally a, it's the beating heart of you guys. Like it's it's yeah. you know it's a physical form of the love that you you have for beer and and people. Um, yeah. So this is why it's been you know like maybe we should start like touching on because this for LA and California has been. A pretty bleak time and i know that like you know just as we were kind of doing our collaboration you're saying that the uh you know the outside kind of dining which was a huge part of what you guys could do obviously you've got the sunshine over there unlike the uk um <laughs> is uh has been now closed down so you you are really having to spin plates to try and uh you know keep keep revenue streams coming in and thankfully yeah. you guys have got a cannon line so i don't know if you I know this is pretty painful, like to talk about right now, and it's pretty fresh. But just talk about like the how the last few months have been for Bagby and and how you've kind of sure. tried to manage it. Because again, I'm sorry, I'm wittering here, but like I've watched it from afar, and I know that you've really put the people that work for you at the center of what you do, and their safety has come before what is, you know, what we just said, the beating heart of you. You've, yeah. you've put their safety way before what you would obviously love to do, which is just keep brewing beer and creep keep putting out beer keep having people in um and yeah. honestly it's so commendable and you know i can only give you my utmost respect for for everything you've done so i know there must have been tough Thank choices you. so so yeah i don't know if you give us a little bit of an overview of of how it's been yeah
1: I'll, I'll try to i'll try to uh try to give you a picture um yeah to uh, to start off it's it's been um you know 10 11 months of of extreme um discussions Mm uh with my wife and i about what we do um how do we move forward what what are the you know the basics what are the options what can we do yeah um and we those are ongoing um you know we were able to get some some loan money hopefully some of that will be forgiven um but the let's be honest the federal and state governments have not made it easy for us at all um and, uh, you know, there was a mandatory shutdown and we took that opportunity was the first kind of, okay, what, what can we do? What are some decisions that we could make? Uh, we did a lot of repair. We did a lot of maintenance. We, you know, I, I was telling people like, oh, it must be great to not go in every day. I'm like, no, I actually am probably racking up more hours than, <laughs> than I ever have because it was, it was just us. And, yeah. um, we had a, we had some. Volunteers in there, but, uh, uh, it, it, it was tough. And we were looking at the landscape because we're, we're in a different, we're in a different class being a brewery in San Diego that has the restaurant of the, of the size that we do. Um, and breweries, don't get me wrong, have gone through the hell with this as well. Um, there, the similarities are in that, um, breweries were allowed to have people come to their facility Um, and most recently until, well, until December 7th, um, we're allowed to have an outdoor, um, dining or tasting experience. Um, there's a weird and strange arbitrary food requirement attached to that. So that if you came to a brewery tasting room, um, you know, um, when they had tents or bar or, or standing seats outside distance, all the things, um, there was a food requirement that the brewery would have to provide and sell its patrons a, a meal with their tasters or their pints or whatever they're having. Um, of course this was easy and and great for us because we have the restaurant, we have a huge outdoor seating area. Um, so this was, this was key. We we're like, okay. And, and we rewired the way our, our brewery and our restaurant works so that we could optimize, um, A lower amount of staff. Um, We shrank our menus. We we did a lot to to make sure that people were safe, Um, our staff and ourselves and our customers, everyone that we came in contact with, Um, and it was working enough. Um, We we would only run one shift, and we were only open uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that. Right there and limits your availability to bring customers in. Um, the, I feel and steel feel Phil, that the general public is thoroughly confused as to what is permitted and what is not. Yeah. What is safe? What isn't? Yeah. It's become, as you know, very politicized. Um, you know, it, which is just incredible to me considering that it's a, a public health issue, yeah. not a political one, but, um, that is that has really divided things um and divided our well our country as a whole so now we're we're dealing with um we, on on December so early December cases and hospitalizations started skyrocketing in in, the, in most of the state um so the governor and the governor's office split the state into five different regions uh, we are in the Southern California region or the southern region of the state. Well, this is a huge region. It encompasses San Diego County, Los Angeles County, and goes all the way up to San Luis Obispo County, which is where uh Firestone Walker is. Yeah. That's a five and a half hour drive
0: from like the size of the UK. from our place. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah it's, it's 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 so a massive region. Mm-hmm. And at first we we're like, oh great. And what the, the premise of this was is all based on ICU hospitalization capacity, ICU bed capacity. Yeah. So as, you know, obviously in LA, it was already low in um, skyrocketing. So at first we were like, well, we're getting, San Diego County is better off than LA, but we're getting um, kind of averaged in to their ICU bed capacity. And it, it, long story short, we saw the writing in the wall, that they were going to shut down, dining on site of any kind, indoor, outdoor, distance, anything like that. So we're like, okay, we gotta pivot again. We gotta we gotta do some some different stuff. And we told our staff, here's what we're looking at. Um and we thought at the time that we would be sort of playing on an even playing field with the rest of the restaurants and bars and breweries and wineries and distilleries in our in our region because mm-hmm everyone would have to shut down any sort of dine dine-in um availability and we would have to pivot to takeaway complete takeaway we started looking at um how to modernize and make that happen and how to market that better even how to set up our own delivery system and yeah. how we could utilize our employees to get them more hours and get them some income by running our own delivery system Well. We had to, we knew our last, so the announcement had gone through, I think on December 5th or 6th, that, um, and that was the 6th was a Sunday. And we knew that the, um, starting Monday, there was no more, no, no more dining, uh, dining on premise of any kind.
0: Yeah.
1: And we thought, okay, we'll, we've been closed Monday, Tuesdays, we'll take the opportunity, we'll get reset up and we'll start doing takeaway. on Wednesday. Well, the first thing we noticed on Monday and Tuesday was there was a large amount of restaurants and bars that were remaining open. Um, and what this did was further divide the customer base Uh, because you had, you had restaurants that were following the stay at home order, closing their outdoor dining, doing takeaway only, um, doing what they're supposed to do, um, by the state health order and the stay-at-home order, and then you had others that were just completely, which I completely understand. You're looking at your, your business having to completely shut down or completely shift and try to make the, somewhere near the same amount of income to take care of even just your overhead, yeah. right? Your staff members, you want them to be able to live to not have to go on unemployment or to not have to try and get some other kind of job or just worry in general. So I understand why people did that. But if by doing that, they've divided our customer base so much yep. so that people were getting, telling us, hey, we really like you, um, beautiful place, food and drink are awesome. But uh, we're going to go down the street because they're still open and we're going to support them. Uh... And, it's, and then you have the people that say, hey, we recognize what you're doing. You've taken the great path. You're taking... You're doing what you can for your employees. You're keeping yeah. the community and, and everyone safe. Um, and uh, we'll support you when we come back. And you're on our very short list of places that we're going to come to when everything's done. Um, but it was just frustrating. We, we completely abandoned even trying to do delivery because there wasn't an even playing field.
0: Yeah, I um, mean, how how are you well, supposed to do work? Like, what's the point in investing in all these logistics if someone else is going to be open down the road? And and like uh, what you said there, it's just like everyone's just trying to survive in a sense. But yeah, like I, if, I get it. But yeah. I'm at
1: risk. If if we're open, you know, uh, our ethos hasn't changed. Yeah, we want the community and people to be safe. We want, as everyone does, for this thing to get. And you should through be rewarded for that sort of. <laughs> so- We should, but in action, we will probably end up being punished. We'll see. That, that still hasn't come to fruition or not, but we risk, you know, and I've had conversations with our alcoholic beverage control. You know, I, you know, I am a licensee. I have a manufacturing license and I have a retail license. And if I'm open, I risk losing those. I risk heavy fines, suspension and ultimate, you know, ultimately having my license revoked. And yeah. if it is, then, then I can't get it back Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, the name of my business. And so, you know, that that was also very important to us yeah. and having conversations with them and saying, hey, look, this is the situation I'm in. This is very difficult, you know, and them saying, no, no, enforcement is in place. We are enforcing, we're going out, we're warning, we're finding. we're going through the whole process, but we're outnumbered. We're outnumbered yeah. because the, and they're a state agency. Um, a lot of time, ta- a lot of the different changing um, things with this whole pandemic in regards to what you can and can't do have been pushed down all the way to a county level, which yeah. um, is sort of San Diego. A county is big. It encompasses, uh, I think, a little over 3 million people and has uh, you know several cities and towns within it. Um, but but the your your alcohol license is is state. Yeah. So whether people are, are following the stay at home order or not, um, these people, um, the enforcement side comes from the state. The health, on the other hand, so our our health permit, our ability to sell to manufacture or to to cook and serve food, yep. um, uh, comes from a county level, and they're outnumbered as well. They are doing the best that they can to enforce the order, but it's been difficult for them too. So it, it's created this division where you have uh, a customer base, some of who don't even understand. I've yep. seen posts from friends that say, well, Encinitas was open yesterday. I went here, but then it's closed today, but now Carlsbad's open. And I want to just scream at them and be like, none of them should be open. <laughs> yeah, th- you shouldn't th- be it's able to lockdown. go anywhere, or you're not uh, supposed to be able to. Yeah. But they're that, it's that confusing and it's that unknown. What is actually supposed to happen? So you've got these people supporting restaurants that they don't even know that aren't supposed to be doing this. And of course, the restaurant owners, like I said, I sympathize and I understand, but they're saying it's their constitutional right to be open. It's saying that they're in oh, peaceful protest to be open.
0: Yeah.
1: and And part of that is True. The other part of it is, is there is a national health risk. Yeah. National, not just at the state level. Yeah. Our state is in a very bad situation. In San Diego County, LA County, um, and our southern region, there is zero ICU bed capacity. There is people that pull up to a restaurant, you know, in an ambulance that maybe they have a heart condition, maybe they have a heart attack, maybe they, you know, then they can't get in because there's no bed. Yeah. You know, I think about I think about my parents, I think about other people, I think about friends who might get in a car accident and yeah. they can't get into a hospital because there's there's uh, there's no room.
0: Oh man, it's just, it's. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're not, you know, in the UK this is a pretty similar situation, bar that the actual yeah. people, are, uh, the enforcement has been, you know, that everyone is actually kind of followed the rules to a certain degree. Um, you know, I think there's a little, it bit, seems like more, it. A little bit more government yeah. support and people are just like, you yeah. know, if, if you want the government support, you have to adhere to these kind of rules. But the reason I wanted to yeah. kind of go into it and, and speak about it is because this is such a huge part of our industry. And, you know, for listeners that are just like uh, customers, like go out and support your local breweries, like go out and support like your little food checks yeah. because... You know, your wallet has never been more powerful than it is now. Like the, you, you are literally, you know, keeping businesses from going under, yeah. you know, like, and, and yeah. those little messages of support, you know, you've just gone through all of that where you, you're dealing with government levels, you're dealing with licensing, you, you know, the the possibility of them revoking the very foundation of what it is you do, you um, yeah. So getting a little message saying we love what you guys do, we're going to buy a four-pack or we're going to come by and do this is is such a meaningful,
1: yeah.
0: meaningful thing now. And I, and I hope that we all get to the other side of this and we can, you know, h- hug one another and be like, fuck, yeah. we got each other through this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm desperate, desperate, desperate to come and see you guys at Bagby and yeah. make sure that it's uh, it doesn't, like, you know, and whatever we can do as a beer community to kind of uh to, to make sure that our friends are, are still going I, I want to be able to do yeah.
1: it um, thank you and and us as well it's 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 a rough and trying time for sure yeah
0: for sure and you just hope you just hope to see the back of it like I said to you before this started uh, this whole premise was started with a bit of like energy and excitement just to reach out to friends and 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 catch up and and share the stories because there's so many amazing stories in the beer industry and then it's turned a little bit into like right well you know let's shine a light on what's going on here and what and and that actually this is a, a call to arms almost of like, you know, if you've got a brewery yeah. or people that you want to support, they, they need it. <laughs> you know, we need it. <laughs> so Jeff is very much rooted in history, like we said before. So when I got to this question, I was excited, slash so kind of nervous to see what he said, uh, as the next day I knew that we were releasing like a, a crazy fruited sour and a big imperial stout. And I know that Jeff, having conversations with him previously, this isn't the thing that drives him forward, so like having a look at how the brewing world might look in five years is probably it's quite an interesting thing to hear from Jeff because he's definitely not someone to latch onto a craze for no reason. He just wants to brew the best beer possibly and the beer that he wants to brew. Um, that's the kind of foundation of who he is. So here it is, our question to Jeff, where do we go from beer? How do you see the beer industry moving in the next five years or so you've seen many things over this last like 20 24 years 25 years as a as a brewer many different yeah there's yeah, <laughs> many different uh styles and and you know from hazy ipas brute ipas all of this kind of stuff um i wondered you know if we get to the other side of this how you see the next five years of beer progressing whether that be on a business side or just like a on a brewing side um and what excites you about about that?
1: That's that's a good question, and actually something I've kind of been wrestling with myself a little bit. Um, you know, the, the beer industry is pretty unrecognizable to me, to compared to even, you know, six years ago when we opened Bagby Beer, um, and a lot of that is is tough for me to get excited about. Yeah, um, when I see Things like hard seltzer just just this tidal wave over um, a lot of great beers and and taking away from from what I you know my beliefs of what core founding beer is you know you to me experimentation and making different one offs and things like that um, it was always exciting for me to do that but I was doing that with styles like Dunkelweiss, you yeah. know, uh, just things that weren't, it wasn't Dunkelweiss with brownies and, you know, honey and, you know, candies and, and shit like that. It was, it was actually to try and replicate a really nice Dunkelweiss yeah. that I drank in Germany. Mm-hmm. And those things seemed to almost be gone from the industry. And, you know, my belief is so big in honoring what came before you and replicating that so that people don't forget it and people recognize it. And while I understand making specialty it's new, <laughs> it's hard for me to say that those are creative, but uh <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> um, I get that. I understand yeah. that. But when that dominates what is is talked about when that dominates what is sold when that you know I've seen so many of my friends breweries and and I can't it hurts when I hear them say well we had to make that yeah we had to do that and I while I I understand that statement it's just hard because I I have other conversations with those same people that say well I don't like drinking that I don't you know I'd rather drink this hell all day. Mm -hmm. And, and to, to see that you're kind of like, wow, man, like you're, you're bending your foundation. You're, you're, you're augmenting your goal. You're, uh, you're changing what is you. Yeah. And like you said earlier, a lot of what breweries make are based on the, the founding person or the, or the, the person or people that, that started these companies. And I don't know that, I, I hope that in the next five years, first of all, I really hope that as many breweries can make it through this. Yeah. Um, I hope that, you know, I, I will admit, uh, my excitement about the industry has diminished yeah. and it's, it's, it's sad to feel it's hard to feel. Yeah. Um, part of that is, is just due to the, just the mountain of, of, uh, difficulties we, we are going to have to make it through to, to the other side. We'll call it part of it is, is that the industry to me is is a bit unrecognizable from what it was. Um, not that it's still not a community, which is great. Like you talked about, not that I still don't have friends all over the place. Um, because of it, uh, and people that are here to help. And, and even Len just had a, one of my good friends from, uh, Indianapolis uh, from Sun King called me a couple weeks ago, and he's like, "He's like, I I, I know I can't do much, but even if you just want to call me and yell at me because you're angry at something. I'll listen, oh. <laughs> you know." And I I was like, yeah, "Dad, that's that's amazing. That's yeah, that's a friendship. That's something that I am excited for that to continue." Yeah. And um, you know, the beer side, I I hope that I personally can get back towards the beer part of Bagley beer. I hope that we can continue to, to go on doing what we've started out to do. Um, and I hope that the industry, um, you know, recognizes that. And there, there is evidence before all this, that, that it, that it had, um, you know, like you said, we have friends, we go pour beer in Copenhagen with this, in a room full of beers that no one's ever heard of or seen from, I don't know how many different countries. And people come up to our stand and say, "Oh, you've got lager. You've got, you know, oh man, you've got brown ale. You know, yeah. just, just excited to have just a kind of a break in the in the craziness." Well, and yeah,
0: I mean, Jeff, you're talking to a brewery uh, that we, we've got like a big imperial stout and a big fruited sour launching tomorrow. So <laughs> I definitely <laughs> know both sides of it, and you know, it is it is a strange dichotomy, like that kind of. Measure of really, you know, I think we we got to a point where seeing people really excited about the beers we were producing really like led us down certain avenues of of, of what we produced. But it's funny that you that you speak about. I, I don't know if this gives you great hope uh, or, <laughs> or or despair, but literally, you know, this is. I think this is like episode thirteen now. Of it, it's like every brewery and every brewer, like lager, is the. The, the the foundational layer and like really well made uh, you know beer of that ilk is exa- is, mm-hmm. is what everyone wants to drink you know and and mm-hmm. I think I went on a you know as a consumer and not a brewer I went on a real trip of this kind of again I'm r- repeating myself here for anyone that's listening but like this trip of like you know, we got brought up and you drank shit lager, like same same as you. And then you got introduced to all this other stuff, and you go on this absolute mad kind of like journey yeah. through all these different beers, and and you know, from Belgian beers to uh, sours yeah, to yeah. Gerza to, and then and and then just going absolutely hell for leather at super hoppy beers, and then just coming back to this point where it's just like crisp, beautiful lager is is all I want to drink though, and actually. <laughs> And over the Christmas period, I just stocked up on like uh yeah, alt beers, like eyeing alt beer and stuff like that. And I'm just like, man, this is fucking delicious. So yeah. there is there is a core of 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 breweries and I think consumers will get there as well. You you hope that everyone takes that journey and you get to that point where it's like, wow, we've just converted all of these people. Like they've gone, they've stepped away from lager because they thought it was shit, and then they've got gone all the way around and come back to it and realize that like when you get incredibly well made beer it's incredibly good
1: <laughs> um, yeah and there is delicacy and nuance yeah. and and oh extreme amount of flavors they're just yeah. more subtle and you know the the bang your over the head stuff i mean I, we have a barrel aged imperial stout right now that we've yeah. been selling and i i love that style I, I you know i've worked i've made i don't know how many different batches of imperial stout in my time but they're They don't have all sorts of other ingredients in them. Yeah. They have
0: water and yeast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And they go into, you know, some just straight away and others into barrels. And, you know, I I love that aspect of, of beer. And I think that it harkens back to it's a blend of the new and the old, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think um, Jeff, just don't don't lose that passion, man. Because you know we're, we're all looking at you like, just like this is fucking awesome beer. Like, and and you're a fountain of knowledge. And and I hope that you know my my hope is I haven't like passed this with Matt is that we can kind of do this fresh hop collaboration every year and do a West Coast IPA. <laughs> you know, like you know with with twenty twenty two crop or twenty twenty one crop, um, and learn keep learning from you and have you know have you over sometime in the future and. And i to bestow that knowledge because I think I think that everything is circular in this in this in everything in in every creative endeavor and you really come back to the foundations of what good beer is, um, yeah. And, and you've been making it for twenty five years, so. <laughs> you, you you can carry that forward so on that note I guess we better better wrap it up um, yeah sure thank you so much for your time Jeff I, I truly sure. appreciate it it's great to catch up with you and I know that this has been an exceptionally hard time um, especially if, you know where, where you're situated at the moment um, and we, I'm just sending my eternal love and gratitude to, oh, to you, you guys and the whole team um,
1: yeah we send it right back <laughs> yeah
0: it is received and um, so yeah, so the, the last question I kind of give you a pre warning is that if there was one last beer for you to have with with your loved ones, with your family or just by yourself, whether it be an apocalypse or just like beer will no longer be produced after this moment so you've got one last beer to drink. Um, it, it could be a beer you've brewed, it could have never been brewed before or it could just be a classic. Uh, what beer is it going to be? Oh. And, and and Why?
1: Okay. Uh, gosh, that's tough. we got like three or four. Um, <laughs> Evan
0: from Green Cheek gave three or four, but he gave three different circumstances. Like if he was like, well, maybe if I was here, I'd want this. And if it was here, so it depends where he was when the world was ending.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, if if I was here and I was with my family and in California it would be Sierra Pale. Yeah. Um just the you know one of the first things that I ever had I've drank and I don't know how many barrels of it in my life. Um just there's some in my fridge right now like <laughs> it, there always is. Um it's just such a perfect beer. Yeah. And Amen. it's got hops. It's got balance. It's it's um what we call it kind of standard alcohol at, at five six um so it it just and you can you can drink lots of it yeah <laughs> it's 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 such a pleasant thing um the other bureau is thinking of a somewhat more of a uh, uh, uh or another kind of foundation beer for me uh an eternal favorite um if i was uh if I was in Belgium or Western Europe would probably be Taras Bolo from De La wow. um Wow. That beer just, again, I, I've drank tons of it. It's light in alcohol. It's hoppy. It is an expression of that brewery of that mm-hmm. place of Belgium. Um, just such, such a drinkable, fantastic beer. And Somewhat of a pale ale in the same vein, you know. Yeah.
0: So definitely. Very
1: has its similarities to a uh, to Sierra Pale, not in <laughs> obviously not in in hops, malt, and yeast, but uh, um, in sort of uh, foundation.
0: Yeah, so. an expression. Jeff, you've just encouraged me to swing by the shop and pick up a four pack of uh, Sierra Nevada <laughs> from,
1: uh, from Edinburgh. Awesome. <laughs>
0: that's it another episode done thank you so so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that one it's i know i keep saying this but a true honor to be able to just have an hour long conversation with jack he's a fountain of knowledge someone that's been in the industry for so long now and someone that i hope will continue to be in the industry there was a real somber tone under this one as well similar to the one with bruce about the realities that breweries are facing in this really challenging time and the reason I really wanted to kind of cover it is because your wallet has never been more important and this doesn't just go for beer I guess but just like we are designing the societies that we want in the future so if you if you want to buy a cheap beer at a supermarket you know that's that's totally cool I totally understand but if you really want to support small independent business then your wallet is the best way of doing that. And, of course, little messages of support. They really, really do help raise the spirits and kind of give you the realisation that what you do matters. Um, So, yeah, big love to Jeff, big love to all the Bagby crew. A massive thanks to Tom Coucher again for putting this uh, show together and all the other shows. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, stay thirsty.